I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's going on, Celtics fans? Happy Monday. As usual, I'm joined by my boy, Greg Manakis. We've got a bunch of news to get that, get through. Basketball's back, man. Like, there's actual news. There's games that we can start discussing this week. There's going to be some some emotional highs and lows by the end of this week. I'm, uh, I'm super in for it, man. I've missed all this uh, actual real discussion points. Before we get going, Greg, man, how's it going? Before we get going, Greg, how is it going? <laughs> it's going all right, man. It's going all right. I had a nice, uh, nice weekend with my girlfriend. I'm trying to trying to give her as much time and appreciation as I can before the season actually starts. So last night I made sure that we, you know, we had a nice date night. We went out, saw some live music, and uh, today we were just doing some stuff in the morning. So I'm trying to trying to find that balance because it's about to get real. Yeah. So I saw a tweet from you earlier saying that. Um there's a, there must be a venue by you that you must really enjoy, like going to frequent and watch music, and you're going to be performing there, huh? Yeah, so my band, Black Sheep Optimist, like we've been looking for live shows. Like right before the pandemic hit, we had all these plans of playing like all these shows, and they all got canceled, right? It was supposed to be right around the time we released our first EP. And we had like, I mean, we were going to be making bank, like pretty much like all the all the money we had invested into making the music, we were going to be making it back and then some. And then we didn't get any of that money. We didn't get to play any of those sh- shows. So we got some like publication, which is great in this big, um, this big newspaper down here called Austin Monthly. But once, you know, once that kind of went away, we haven't really been able to get the momentum back. So this is the first show in which we're like finally seeing some of that momentum. It's at this place called Mohawk, which is like one of the, the biggest like live music venues here in Austin. Um, so we're super lucky and I'm pumped, man. It's November 3rd. So it's a Wednesday. So not like a, a marquee night, but the fact that we finally like got our foot in the door at that venue and one of the biggest venues in town, I'm hoping that can kind of snowball because I've been I've been itching, man. Like it's really nice to be on the podcast because that allows me to lean in to you know kind of like scratch the itch of just needing to be on stage performing. <laughs> I just need people to know how I'm feeling, you know. <laughs> so uh, th- this is going to be a really nice, um, you know, nice surprise. I didn't expect it to happen, and we just got the news a couple of days ago that it was going down. So I'm, I'm super pumped about that. Yeah, that's dope. I'm expecting to be sent video footage so I can at least see how it went rather than, you know, send me get someone to, uh, you know, people in the crowd, everyone taking some videos on their For cell sure. phone. Yeah, th- this venue actually has like a pretty strict video policy. So they they want to control all the content that comes out of there. So I don't even know if people are going to be allowed to be taking videos in the crowd. Um, so in the contract, it's a like in our contract that we signed, we were not we were not allowed to bring a videographer because they're they're doing all that stuff. Um, so we'll see, man. Hopefully, if I get if we get some footage, I will definitely send it to you and we can you know post it online. Yeah, man, for sure. I'll be down for that. And other people, there's going to be other people performing this week as well. So it's not just you, man. There's a lot of people nope. going onto that grand stage. Unfortunately, there's also a bunch of people that are not going to be performing this week, or at least not at the level that they were hoping to perform. Sad. The Celtics, I know, man. You've got to think of it like the dream crusher. So close like to the, to the start of regular season, especially for the latest guy that got cut um in Jabari Parker like his contract was so close to being like 50% guaranteed because that guarantee kicked in i think it was for like 1. 1.8 or 1.6 million it would have kicked in for on opening night and then the rest of it would have mm-hmm. been fully guaranteed from like January 10th and uh, he got waived 
at time of recording, like the news of him getting waived was about an hour ago. Um, it's a Sunday afternoon Eastern time. Jabari Parker got released by the team. I think I want to look at this first and then we can go through the other cuts because Jabari Parker was a guy that I personally, after everyone else had got cuts yesterday and um, so Saturday and Friday when the first round and second round of cuts actually went through, Jabari Parker stayed firm, man, and we'd seen some of him during the end, tail end of last season. We saw some a little bit of him in the playoffs. And then we've seen him all through Summer League, all through preseason. He featured, he even started the last game against Miami, if I'm not mistaken. And now now he's without a team again. I mean, I genuinely thought he'd done enough to earn himself a role in that rotation. Where, where's your where's your head at with this? Because this one's the biggest surprise to me in terms of the maneuvers they've made at that last, like that tail end of the roster. So I, I didn't think he did enough to actually be a part of the rotation. I thought he, he did enough to be on the roster. Um the last game, now that he got cut, it makes me wonder if they kind of already knew they were going to make the cut, so they were allowing him to showcase his talents for the rest of the league if they knew this was going to happen, because that kind of makes sense to me. It, it doesn't really make sense that he's getting cut like after his performances, you know? Like, he's played well enough to earn a roster spot, but maybe he's played too well where he's like, hey, I really want a chance to like actually be in the rotation. And they were straight up with him telling him, you know what, man, it's probably not going to happen here. But you can, you know, if, if you're down being the 15th man, let's do it. But if not, then, you know, we're, we're happy to, to cut you loose. Similar to how the Patriots did with Cam Newton. Once they decided that um, Mac Jones was going to be the starting quarterback, they kind of had that conversation with Cam Newton and just like let him go just in case he could play elsewhere. And he hasn't to this point. Um, so that's what I'm kind of wondering if, if that's kind of the narrative of how it went down, the sequence of events of how it went down. Because I liked what I saw from Jabari, man. He even had a couple of nice possessions guarding Bam out of bio in the, in the heat game. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was aggressive attacking the hoop. He looked fast. He looked athletic. I don't see why the Celtics would cut him other than he's overqualified to be a 15th man and that they, they felt like it was time for him to move on and hopefully get a chance somewhere else. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, in terms of production, like I thought he did quite well. He was um, definitely a very good cutter. I think he was very underrated at his off-ball movement. But when he was on ball, I do feel like he was still disjointed, right? Like um, a lot of his isolation um, possessions to me felt like they weren't really threatening. I didn't ever, like, I know that Jabari can go and get his own buckets. I know that he's more than capable of hitting a pull-up jump shot, more than capable of driving to the rim. But sometimes it just felt like a lot of it was forced and Jabari was, he was put in positions where he was still making the right basketball play. I never felt like he was being selfish in the way he um, approached it. I thought he was really intelligent with when he chose to isolate, when he chose to shoot. But I do feel like there wasn't enough there for me to be like, this guy can crack the top eight in the rotation. But I definitely felt like there'd be games where we saw Jabari because of the weakness at the four as well. I feel like Juancho coming in probably pushed him a little bit further down that pecking order. But for my opinion, the, the power forward spot's still the weakest position on the roster. And I thought Jabari, with his off-ball movement and the way that Udoka has set this team up to be very predicated on moving without the ball, I thought Jabari Parker's skill set would fit quite well, especially in a role where he wouldn't really need the ball in his hands too much. Obviously, the defensive issues were still there. Unless you're going to slide him to the five, he's not really going to be viable for you. In a switch-everything system, he's, he's going to really struggle at times. Uh, but again, like you, uh, I did say roster, uh, um, rotation earlier. I did mean roster. But at the same thing, I did expect him to be 
part of the Celtics this season. Um, I expected him, you know, I was expecting one every four games. We'd probably see him get a stretch depending on matchups. Uh, and it just hasn't it hasn't worked out that way for him. So Jabari Parker's no longer on the Celtics. There's now an open roster spot. And there's also an open two-way spot. Now, if you remember Udoka, uh, I think it was yesterday or earlier today, uh, Sunday for recording, obviously, if people listened on a Monday, he said that the Celtics were hoping to have their roster finalized by the end of today. That was what their hope was, that by, by the end of play Sunday, the Celtics would have their 15-man rotation locked down. At the moment, there's not really any indication of if the Celtics are pursuing somebody else, what they intend to do with that final roster spot. I know that Keith Smith tweeted out, and I'll read the, the tweet out because I, I found it quite interesting. Um, there has been some buzz that the Celtics are looking at adding another big, a big man. Given the uncertainty of Al Horford's early season availability and Robert Williams' recent knee soreness, likely factors in here as well. So that tells me, like, if they are looking for a, a true big type of thing, like a, an actual big man, there's a very limited player pool for them to kind of start dipping their toes into the water. We spoke off air before we came on. Uh, you threw the names Marquise Chris, Marquise Chris and Patrick Patterson at me. I threw in Harry Giles as well. I feel like those three are arguably the most likely three that would be available that you could kind of go in for a contract to and get that sorted by the end of the day if there was true interest on both sides. So I wanted to look at these guys a little bit. So out of those three, where would who would you want the most? Let's rank them one through three. One being the most desirable, three being the least desirable. Well, in terms of talent and fit, I think Marquise Chris would probably be the guy that I would want on the roster because he can stretch the floor a little bit, and he, you know he he's he's got a bigger body than he did coming in coming into the league. He, he definitely put on some meat over the years. Patrick Patterson, if you want that vet, um, he he also offers someone who can stretch the floor. So I would say Chris, then Patterson, then Giles, just in terms of talent and fit. But Giles, being Tatum's boy, I think probably would be more um in more likely that he ends up getting the call because of his relationship with Tatum. And it, you know, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not. And by the time this, you know, this airs tomorrow morning, maybe we'll have, you know, we'll know, it'll be solidified who's on the roster. But Chris, you know, I, I've seen some things from him in the past that were absolutely horrendous, where I was like, this guy's going to be out of the league in a couple of years. And then he also had some moments, I think it was with Golden State, where, where he, he had some nice moments shooting the ball from distance and um, playing some solid team defense. I don't know too much about how Harry Giles has actually been performing. I just, you know, the Celtics have always kind of dreamed on guys with a lot of talent from from their earlier years when they were in high school and stuff like that. And the fact that he's Tatum's boy, maybe we give him a shot. But I don't. I wouldn't consider Harry Giles a true big. Like Marquise Chris and Patrick Patterson, I think, are slightly more... Um, more equipped to to handle big men down down on the block, and if if that's what we're worried about, those are the two names that I'd be looking at. So you see, I've got I've got Harry Giles at number one, and the reason that I've got him as the most desirable has literally zero to do with his relationship with Jason Tatum. So for me, Harry Giles, one of his biggest skill sets, one of his biggest attributes would probably be the better way of putting this is his passing ability. Um, mm. during throughout his three seasons, two in Sacramento, I think last year was with Portland. Yeah, it was. It was with Portland. He's always flashed an ability as a facilitator, whether that be from the delay above the perimeter or from the short roll or out of the low or high post. And I think that when you look at Al Horford and Robert Williams, 
neither of them rely directly on their playmaking and facilitating ability. But the Celtics will look, will be looking to utilize their ability to pass the ball, especially in some of the sets that they like to run. So I think Harry Giles coming in and just operating as a facilitator, either at the four or the five, and that switchability between those two positions, meaning he can guard down, he can operate in that switch everything system. That to me is a lot more interesting than what Marquise Chris would bring or what Patrick Patterson would bring because of that playmaking ability. I've pulled up some cleaning the glass numbers here. I just want to have a, I was just having a quick kind of gander just before we started talking about Giles. One thing that really stuck out to me was 69% of Harry Giles' um, shots last season came at the rim. But when you look at the accuracy, he was in the fifth percentile. He was one of the worst at finishing around the rim for, um, for bigs basically at 54%. But he does like to shoot those long mid-range shots. He, 67% of his attempts went in, but only 6% of his offense came from that long mid-range area. So his most statistically reliable shot came from somewhere where his offense isn't generated. So I think putting him in those short roll regions, asking him to use that facilitation, opening up that long mid-range so he can take those elbow jumpers would be beneficial. And then I look at like Marquis Chris, I look at his three point percentage. It's like what, 28% on his career. He only shot 20% last season on 2.5 attempts per game for Golden State. Uh, the season before, it was 20% a game. It's just, it's never, re- he's never been shy to take the three, but he's never been a trustworthy three point shooter. So that I, and I understand that Marquis Chris will give you a bit more size, uh, but at the same time, I'm not sure that you're getting out of him what you want. And actually, he wouldn't give you any more size. Pulling up his height here, he's actually an inch shorter than what Harry Giles is. So Mm. I I like Marquise Chris. I think that as a third big in the rotation, he's going to give you something that's reliable. But Harry Giles, to me, that skill set just fits better. And then Patrick Patterson, if I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched enough of Patrick Patterson recently or at all, to be honest, to have a to have a valid opinion on what he could bring to the team. So I have to put him third just because I'd be being disingenuous if I tried to speak on him. For sure. And with Giles, you know, with, with Chris and Patterson, I guess my, my thinking was a a different type of big, right? Someone that's different from what Al Horford can bring and what Robert Williams can bring. But if you're talking about someone who might need to fill in the gap for those two guys, if they're out, then you're right. Giles definitely makes more sense he's like a facsimile of what those guys bring whereas chris and patterson offer something completely different um and they're theoretical with chris his ability to stress the floor you know it, it hasn't like i said there have been moments where like this guy doesn't belong in the league and then he has a couple games here or there we're like oh okay marquis chris like maybe <laughs> but as you as you just show with the numbers like it hasn't translated consistently there's a reason why he just cut he just got cut there's a reason why patrick patterson just got cut like Saying that one of these three guys is going to be the answer because we waived Jabari Parker, I don't know that any of these three guys are going to end up on the team. But, you know, you kind of talked me into Giles with with your point that you were just making about his skill set being similar to what Robert Williams and Al Horford do within the Celtics offense. So I'd, I'd definitely be down to see Harry Giles. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that he's friends with Jason Day. Oh, the friendship helps a bunch. I just refuse to factor in an analysis point on the relationship, but it does, it never hurts, never. And I get what you're saying. Like, uh, you know, you do want to have an opportunity to go towards somebody with a completely different skill set to mix things up a little bit. Um, you know, that's part of the reason why Brad Stevens kept Taco Fall around for two years, because if you did need to go just pure rim protection, you could always, you know, especially last season where 
two-way guys were there all year anyway. You could rely on to bring Taco in and, you know, just get someone that's nearly as tall as the rim itself to protect it. So I do understand the need for variety. You know, it is a spice of life at the end of the day. You do need a bit of variety. But at the same time, if you're just trying to cover for someone, if you lose Al Horford, you do need to replace some of that playmaking because that is one of the most important things that Al Horford's going to bring. And I think that they want to bring Robert Williams on the same way to utilize that playmaking to create the space for people operating off ball and hit 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 cutters on with well timed passes. So Harry Giles is a I can't it's put it's bad to say a poor man's version, but Harry Giles is a third option with slightly less breadth width and breadth of a skill set, but can be honed in just on his facilitating and short roll offense. I think that would work really well, especially if it was on a one year you know, minimum deal or a couple of mil here where it's not really going to put you too much further into the tax. I think that would be fine. Definitely. You know, it's funny as, as we're talking about all this, I'm thinking back on the last pod that you did with Will and on some degree, the takes that you guys had on that pod, some of them have aged really well and some of them have aged so poorly. The Jabari, the Jabari Parker, Derek Rose comparison is aging horribly right now. But you also talked about, the two of you talked about how Robert Williams has been shooting more jumpers. You haven't seen like a lot of the athleticism, like the wild plays this year. We haven't seen too many dunks out of him. And now with the news that he has knee tendinop- tendinopathy, which basically is jumper's knee, like tendinitis in your knee. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's a reason why we haven't really seen that crazy athleticism out of him and that he's been more willing to shoot the J shoot it, shoot the J. <laughs> so I, I don't know if, um, if, the news about his knee actually, you know, means what we saw during the preseason was a result of his knee not feeling great. And I, I'm a little bit concerned, man, because if Robert Williams' knee issues continue and if Al Horford isn't ready by the beginning of the season, the first month of the year is really, really difficult for the Celtics. That schedule is a bear. So hopefully, hopefully the Celtics can figure it out, man, because all the positivity that I was feeling, you know, over the first couple of weeks of the preseason, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm starting to buy into maybe this team is cursed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's true. The, that big man rotation that looked so promising is all of a sudden on shaky ground before the yeah, you know, main tip. And I get it. You know, Robert Williams, even Udoka said that he's actually quite well. He's not in any pain. He's pretty much fine. But when Robert Williams has, any lingering pain or any sort of um, sharpness around those knees or hip areas where he's previously had issues, you sit him. You don't risk him because you know you, you don't need him against Miami in the preseason. You do need him against New York on the opening game. So I understand that completely. Definitely. And you've also got that open two-way roster spot as well. So if you do need to find somebody in a pinch that can come in and give you five to eight minutes just to... Like, say there's a game where Al Horford and Robert Williams are both out for whatever reason. And under this premise, let's just, for argument's sake, say you've signed Harry Giles. But now you have an open two-way spot. You've only got one big. Are you going to slide Juancho up and play him at small ball five or Grant up? Or are you going to, maybe you get bring in an extra big or a power forward that can slide up to the five on that other two-way spot? Um, if I remember correctly, I think it was during the interview with um, Sam Hauser the other week. He told me that, and I weren't—I didn't know this at the time. I had to go and fact check myself. The two-way guys can play fifty-two games this year, 
So if you do bring in an extra guy that can slide up or down, at least then you've got a deep enough rotation of guys that are viable at the five that you can cover for yourself if we go through stretches where there is no Robert Williams and Al Horford, which I do think is quite a likely scenario at any at one point throughout this year. There is a, a likelihood that we don't see either of them suit up. For whatever yes. reason. Yeah, so the big man position that we were that was so promising with his depth is, is suddenly looking a little thin. But in the preseason we did see some great improvements from our wings, man. Like we got we gotta talk about our guy Romeo, your guy Romeo, and what he did in the preseason and what he did more most recently against the Miami Heat. What were you as you were watching that Heat game in, what were your initial reactions? Like in the moment, how were you feeling? Were you just like jumping out of your chair for joy? Yeah, so bear with me. I just want to make an apology real quick. I apologize, Bruno Fernando. You were still on the roster. They do not need an extra big man um, as a two-way because if they bring in Harry Giles, Giles, Fernando, Horford, Williams, that works perfectly. So Bruno Fernando, I forgot you for a moment. I remembered. I do apologize. Back to Romeo. Oh, boy. I was. Uh, there was moments <laughs> in time. <laughs> I think that's the first oh, boy, I've heard out of you. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm telling you, like, I've been high on this guy since, I don't know, since he got drafted. I've just always seen something there in terms of his size. Um, for me, when I see guys that look ridiculously calm and they're like and they're playing, to me that means they're very cerebral. They're not they're not playing on emotion. They're playing on understanding and recognition. And sometimes, if you're super raw and you're trying to play cerebral, you're going to be very bad because you can't outthink people that can do... What you need to think about other people do from muscle memory is very natural to them. Movements that you're trying to anticipate, they're already three steps ahead of you. But I always told myself that in a few years, maybe Romeo will be at a point where the stuff he's anticipating is a, from a different angle. That muscle memory of his own has started to set in. And then when you... So, like, um, so when he's attacking closeouts, a, a year ago you'd see him ponder attacking the closeout before he attacked it. And then by then another, de another defender's um, rotated over and cut off that, uh, that driving lane or stopped him from being yeah, able he, to step he, in. He took a lot of false steps. Yeah. He definitely doubled. He questioned everything he was doing on the floor. And you could see that if you go back and watch the film, now he seems to be, and this is where that muscle memory comes in. He seems to be playing more off instinct and his defense is what's coming more off that cerebral aspect. He does read rotations really well. Um, I, I very rarely see him make a huge mistake. Sometimes he'll get beat off the dribble, but this is the NBA. Everybody gets beat off the dribble by somebody. That's just the way this works. Um, but in terms of offense, he looks so much smoother, like his athleticism starting to shine through a little bit. Um, that jump shot just looks so smooth. The mechanics look perfect uh, in terms of like fluidity from uh, transfer transfer of power from his legs through to his arms. Uh, the way his his forms just so repetitive, which is obviously a really good thing at this level. And uh, the release is quick. I think it, everything we've seen from him during preseason, I think he's highly translatable. It's just whether or not he gets the role. But at the moment, I've been on the start Neesmith train all through the summer, um, all through preseason. I was hammering that start Neesmith. 
I would not be mad. In fact, I'd be quite encouraged if Romeo is the guy to get that 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 final spot in that starting rotation this uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, man, he he looks great. He looks great, and that athleticism that you you mentioned just now. I mean, that one play where he picked, uh, where he, he jumped the passing lane, got out in transition, and like just took off. Like he left Duncan Robinson in the dust and took off from like halfway up the lane and finished like Statue of Liberty style. Like that's a, that was a confident fast break by that dude. And then earlier, he also had a fast break early in the game. Is more, I don't know if it was fast break or in secondary, but he, you know, he drove into Duncan Robinson's body. And then finished over Bam out of bio with with touch. Those two plays, man, I was like, wow! I don't think I've ever seen Romeo do that finesse play. That was beautiful. Use his body, where like Jason Tatum does that, Jalen Brown does that. The best wings in the league do that, right? Where they drive, they take the contact with the left, they finish up with the right. I haven't seen him do that yet. I've seen him try it, right? But he 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 hasn't really executed it to that polished level. And then when he made that play and got in the pass lane and finished with that dunk, he took off with uh, athleticism I just haven't really seen from him before. You know, he looks really, really healthy, which is so encouraging. You're right. You and I, like going back to that rotations pod that we did a month ago, you know, we both said Aaron Neesmith should be the starting shooting guard because that is the, you know, the highest ceiling for this team long term with our potential was with Aaron Neesmith is shooting space in the floor. But I think Romeo, I mean, he's shown so much with that shot, man. It's not the prettiest shot, right? He doesn't, like, hold his follow-through. He kind of, like, flicks it up at the rim and, like, pulls his hand back. But it works, man. It works, and it, it, it looks smooth. And as you said, it's repeatable, right? You, 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 you worried in the past with his shot that when he was kind of flicking it at the rim, it wasn't, like, his follow-through wasn't to the basket. It was almost like he was shooting, like, a little kid shoots with, like, two hands on the ball. You know, and now now it just looks a lot more smooth and mechanics and then the mechanics, although they're not like picture perfect, are definitely more repeatable. And he's gotten rid of a lot of the issues in his shot that we'd seen in the past. I'm so excited about Romeo, man. And I'm happy that now it's like an actual debate who should be on the court, Romeo or Neesmith, not because we don't have anybody else who should be on the court, Romeo or Neesmith. Like they both deserve to be on the court, which is great. And I was a little upset with the role that they gave Neesmith the other night against the Heat. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with that role they gave him, but he, he didn't seem to get as much of an opportunity as he got in the previous game. And I was wondering if you had any insight into, um, if you want to continue talking about Romeo, go ahead. But why, why do you think Neesmith didn't shine as much as he, he did in the previous game? Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up on Romeo and then I'll give my thoughts on Neesmith. Um, you mentioned that Romeo, there was a possession where Romeo absorbed the contact and then finished with that, uh, with his um, ball dominant hand. And that that's great. One of the things that I've been really hammering is Romeo's reluctance to drive it into the defense. He always seems to avoid the contact. So seeing him be confident enough in his own body to absorb contact and then finish through the contact and over a big, like just to kind of be like put the icing on the cake, that was huge for me. There's been many a time over the last 18 months where you've seen Romeo drive a big slide over to cut off the driving lane. And instead of Romeo going at them and relying on his athleticism and his ability to finish around the rim, he's tried to go around them and then he's lost all momentum and the play has been killed. And I've tweeted this out. I've, I've hit it on this podcast a few times. So seeing that development, I can just imagine it in my head with him in the gym and the coach has got one of them crash mats and they're banging it into him and telling him to finish off the, off the contact. Uh, he's definitely been putting in work to be able to get that repetition ready 
the finish over somebody as imposing as Bam as well. So a huge development for me. I hope that we see more of that throughout the season. For Lee Smith, I genuinely think it was just rest. I think that he played quite a, quite a large role like 24, 48 hours earlier against um, the Magic. I think that he played probably a little bit more than what he played in the last few games. So maybe he was just feeling a little bit sore. Maybe they've got plans for him to play a decent-sized role against New York on Wednesday, and they wanted to give Romeo an opportunity to stake his claim for a decent-sized role as well. And I do think that there are going to be times this season where we see Neesmith go off and then have a minimised role in a game or two later because of the way matchups work. And it'll be the same with Romeo. I genuinely think we're going to see these guys have real spikes in their minutes and then real dips. And it's just going to be managing that, managing their development, managing their bodies, keeping them as fresh as possible. So when they do play extended minutes, you're getting the best version of them for the extended minutes. So I didn't read too much into it against Miami. I was disappointed to. I thought Neesmith had an amazing game against Orlando. Uh, amazing is probably a little bit too far, but he played very, very well. Um, so for me, it was just a minutes management and rest type of thing. This was the last game of preseason. You've got your opening tip against a very tough, very physical New York team on Wednesday. Try and keep as many bodies fresh as possible. Yeah, what were your overall takeaways of that game itself? Right, We're going up against the Miami Heat. Obviously, there's still a little bit of bad blood between the two teams dating back to our bubble playoff series with them when they beat us to go to the finals. My the, the biggest thing that stood out to me was the physicality of the game and how our guys were now rising to the occasion to kind of meet that physicality. And we even punched in the mouth first, right? They ended up, you know, taking over the game. I think it was in the third quarter where maybe Hero, I think it was Hero or Robinson, one of those two guys got like crazy hot. I think it was Hero because he was balling out that game. And I was I, so I was watching the game at a bar. So some of my uh, <laughs> some of my recollections of that game might be a little fuzzy. But aside from Jason Tatum having that like really bad stretch in the second quarter where he turned the ball over three or four times and looked a little, uh, you know, kind of frazzled by what Miami was doing to him with the physicality. Man, like Tatum's ability to play at full speed in that game was a, a faster speed than I've ever seen him. He's He's been so methodical in the past, and it really seems like he's starting to understand how to play faster and how to play more decisive and how to use his body. There are a couple times, man, where he just took contact from like Jimmy Butler and Bam out of bio and just like finished through them. I haven't really seen him like use this theoretical muscle that he has and actually apply it in the game. And it seems like Jason Tatum is ready. It seems like he is ready. What were your thoughts, man? That big boy ball that Udoka's been talking about, dude, we're starting to see the the fruition of that work that they've probably put in over the offseason. But anyway, so one of the things for me was... um how physical the game was. I think that that was a huge indicator of how ready both teams are for the NBA to actually start up. Uh, there was moments in time where I had to tell myself, look, this is a preseason game. Some guys are jawing at each other. You see Tyler Hero was curling off screens and going full, like, full speed ahead on off-ball cuts. Uh, Tyler Hero, for his, like, just to give him some credit, he's been balling out all preseason. What you saw against Boston was not a flash. Like I've seen Tyler Hero a couple of times this preseason and he's played very well all throughout of preseason. So he looks like he's ready. From a Boston standpoint, um, you know, I think that Grant Williams made a couple of mistakes in terms of his defensive rotations. As a team, they started off really well. They opened it up with some very nice um some very nice offensive sets. 
one of the, the first play that they ran was actually a ridiculously good offensive set that I'm going to be putting a bit of a breakdown out about. So watch my Twitter and IG page for that. Um, but in general, I think that it was just more of what we've seen Udoka working on, right? A bunch of switching. Sometimes I feel like some of the switches are uh, soft switches. I'm not a big fan of soft switching. I'd like to see that tone back a little bit. I also think that there was far too many times that Miami were able to exploit that and get a mismatch down on the low block where they'd have like Dennis Schroeder trying to guard up against Bam or trying mm-hmm. to guard up against Jimmy. And that was that was by design. Miami were running on wedge screens to do that. So there's going to need to be a little bit of adjustments from the Celtics on defense. Offensively, you know, they had hot streaks. They had cold streaks. A very big emphasis on pressuring the rim rather than dealing with it from free. I'm a big fan of that. I think you should always play inside out rather than outside in. Um, obviously, that's the 90s kid in me. I think you're probably the same. I prefer seeing kickouts from the low block than I do, um, you know, like po- or I like post entry passes, but I, I, I don't know. I just prefer people to pressure the rim and then build out from there. Um, I just think the Celtics at the minute, they look ready. They look like a completely different team to last year. The biggest takeaway for me, I think, is the emphasis on getting into the paint, on getting into the mid-range, not relying on shooting yourself out of a slump from free. Because there was many a time last year where the Celtics had just fought back and just chipped away on the inside and started getting easy twos, then games that they did lose never would have got to a point where they were out of hand. And I think that's what kept Boston in that game until the fourth quarter when they kind of let their tempers get the best of them. Yeah, yeah. And it... it you're right in that it seemed like both teams are ready, man. It, it really did. And I, I love what I'm seeing from the Celtics in terms of the pace with which they're, they're playing and they're trying to push the ball even off of made baskets. They're just like continuously getting the ball out to the first available outlet and just going, which is um, creating a lot of advantageous situations for us on the fast break where you see guys be able to use their athleticism like Romeo Langford, like Jason Tatum. We can really get out and just make a difference in transition. And that's another thing. So earlier, one of our pods that we did a couple weeks ago, I said that I was going to be paying attention to how frequently Jason Tatum gets to the line early on in games. Another thing I would love to see this year is to kind of track his points in transition to see if he ends up being near the top of the league because what I saw in the Miami Heat game was a guy that has finally understood, um, you know, the the steps, the amount of steps that it's going to take for him to get to the rim. It's always seemed like he was he had to like slow down right as he kind of breached the three point line to like kind of gather his steps and time them out. But now he's not even thinking about it, man. The way that he was able to get to the rim, he was finishing. I, I really, honestly, haven't seen him play full speed on in transition like that. He was attacking the rim, almost looked like Giannis, almost looked like LeBron. You know, in the past, it looked more methodical, and he was like kind of slowing up, trying to get contact, or he didn't really, he, maybe he was trying to sidestep people. And this time, he was just going, you know, in and out dribble, full speed, one more step, finish high off the glass, you know? And that that's something that I would love to see more out of Jason Tatum. If Jason Tatum, t- like, I've always said this, I love I love Jason Tatum's game. It's more polished than Jalen Brown, but I love Jalen Brown's mentality on offense more than I love Jason Tatum's. If you could just take Jalen Brown's mentality in the fast break and just put it into Jason Tatum's body, that's a terrifying prospect for the league. And if both of them are doing that, if both of them are looking to get out in transition, man, they're gonna they're both gonna average over twenty five points a game and both are gonna be all stars and potentially 
both crack on the A teams because those two guys are the reason why the Celtics are going to be in the top four in the East this year if it's going to happen. I think the other thing about that as well is like even if teams do manage to get back and build out to the ball and transition and then throw a double team at Tatum just to try and slow him down, right? Tatum's ability to pass out of double teams now is going to make him even more of a nightmare when guarding him in transition, in the half court, whatever it may be. He's got that focus now on getting in towards the rim. You know, he seems to be doing a lot more work posting up. He likes to play a bit more of his back to the basket. We know he's got that fade away in his bag. He can also turn up, like, you know, get a guy on his hip and turn that guy and then drive and get a dunk or a finish around the rim. So teams have to throw an extra defender either into a double team or just to kind of play that low block area just so they can rotate over across the low helpline and then deter any finish around the rim. So when they do that, obviously that means they have to sag off of somebody. And with the, the scoring ability and slashing ability that the Celtics have now, having Tatum with the, with the rock in his hand, being able to facilitate out of double teams or being able to hit those swing passes and recognize the open man quickly, that's going to open a, a bunch more opportunities for him as both a scorer and a playmaker. And I think that Brown is going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries there, just because I can I can see a world where you have Jason Tatum on the strong side, um, posting up on the low block. You get Jalen Brown coming off a 45 cut, which is just a, a cut from the 45 degrees angle towards the rim. Jason Tatum hitting him time and time again with a pass over the top. So I think that those two are both going to be improved versions of themselves, but I also think this will be the year where we see them play off of each other. And I've said this before, one of the biggest differences, good players play together, great players play off each other. And when you have a good partnership, both guys can go and get 20 for, for themselves. When you have a great partnership, both guys get 20 for each other. You know, Tatum gets six, seven, eight, nine assists to Brown. And being able to form that partnership is going to be a huge factor in how far the Celtics go. So I will push that again. Good players play to good partnerships, play together. Great partnerships play off of each other. And I'm hoping that this year will be the year we finally see them play off of each other. Yeah, and that reminds me of like, the great pairings of pick and roll people in the past, right? Even people that don't have great talent, like not one of the most elite talent guys in the league, but they find someone that they play off of, right? So Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell comes to mind, right? So when I'm thinking about the Celtics with Dennis Schroeder on the team, the way that he played against the Heat and the way that he's played in the preseason, I really wonder what his role is going to be with this team because he's so... He's, he's by far our best pick-and-roll player. He's by far our fastest guy on the team. And if, if he ends up finding the right guy to pair along with, whether it's Al Horford, Robert Williams, could be someone, I mean, it could be someone we, we're not even thinking about. Like maybe he plays well off of Grant Williams or maybe him and Tatum run a dynamic pick-and-roll, you know? He's a guy that I have my eye on because I think Peyton Pritchard has played well enough to, to maybe get the, the backup point guard role because of his ability to stretch the floor. But Schroeder's just so good, man. He Like the way that he played in that heat game, he was lightning fast. He looked like Rondo. Once again, we've been hammering that home. He actually looked like Rondo. And his defense that he played, yeah, he got beat a couple times, but he had that great play where he blocked Lowry at the rim. He had another great play where he chased down Bam when Bam didn't, didn't realize that Schroeder was flying up behind him. And I mean, he was playing like a guy that was hungry for a role on the team. And I, I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts were, one, on who the best pairings are going to be for the Celtics this year. And two, 
is Dennis Schroeder going to be playing a like a really, really vital role on this team, or is he going to kind of be a guy that gets a game here or there? No, I think he's going to play a vital role, dude. I think that what we saw in the Miami game from Schroeder was the best and the worst of him throughout the different um, sections of the game. So you see that he runs the pick and roll. He really likes those elbow pull-up jumpers off the pick and roll. Uh, I think he's quite consistent from that. I'm more than happy for him to take them. There was probably two or three times during the game where I feel like he looked off a better shooting opportunity to take that shot. But sometimes like he'd been so hot in the first quarter that I could kind of forgive that because you you know you want to see if you still got it going or not. Um, I do think that he's also probably a bit of a better defender than what Pritchard is, just in terms of his physical attributes rather than his determination. He's also a little bit quicker. I genuinely think that we're going to see them guys uh, pair up quite a bit. I think that we'll see rotations where it's um, Schroeder, Pritchard, Richardson as your one, two, and three. Or it might be uh, they might put Schroeder in more of an off-ball role because he's so fast, his cuts will cause carnage playing at the two. Um, in terms of like my pairings that I think are going to work well, um, we've seen the Robert Williams-Marcus Smart pairing work really well last season. I think that will continue this year. It will be stronger. Uh, I think that Pritchard and Al Horford is one that I think could be really fun to watch. Uh, I think that both of them have the ability to cause an issue playing a pick-and-roll together. I'd be excited to see that work. Uh, Schroeder and Al Horford would be good I'd like to see some inverted screens so that's where the, um, the the little sets the screen for the big so you know seeing somebody like um, I don't know like seeing Schroeder screen for Tatum I think would be an interesting type of dynamic that I wouldn't mind seeing now obviously not I don't know, those if, you, I don't know if you're gonna see I don't know if you're gonna see Schroeder set any set any like meaningful exactly, screens yeah. this year <laughs> this is what I mean I mean I'm just throwing out names at yeah, the moment but like inverted screens that get a big or um, a, wing, a bigger wing, like a power forward or a, a center, that get them running off of a screen with the ball in their hand. I'd be excited to see Al Horford coming off a screen that was set by Josh Richardson. I think that would be quite a, a good one. Uh, so there's going to be a few. I, I've got a feeling that we're going to see Juancho develop a pairing with somebody, and I don't know who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Juancho Hernan Gomez is going to develop a pick-and-pop game with somebody. And I think it's going to be cash and we're all going to fall in love with Juancho. If I had my guess, I'd say that would be Pritchard too. So a Pritchard, Juancho, pick and pop set, uh, I think we're going to end up falling in love with that. And he's going to be the new Tice. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Yeah, it kind of looks like Tice too. Um, from a distance, from a distance. You know who I always used to get confused on the court was Daniel Tice and Jason Tatum. Like there would be so many times during the game where I'd just be like watching and I was just like, oh, that's that Tatum's on the court, and it was Tice, or Tice is on the court, and it was Tatum. That's just a little aside. But an- another pairing that I actually really liked the chemistry that they were developing in, in that Magic game specifically was Neesmith and Grant, where Grant had the ball in the delay, and Neesmith was just kind of like moving off of Grant, Grant being able to set a screen with his big butt and get Neesmith an open three, or Neesmith dribbling off of Grant and getting an open three. So Grant in the delay at the top of on the top of the defense setting screens for Neesmith or Neesmith learning how to move off of Grant. I think Neesmith is going to be really interesting to watch off of Grant and off of Al Horford in the top of that because he really started to figure out in that Orlando game how he could get his shot on the on the top of that on the top of that offense. So um, that that's a pairing that I'm I'm excited to see Peyton Pritchard. I think he's going to be able to run a great pick and pop of anybody on the roster. Honestly, man, like his ability to just step back to the logos is going to be huge all year, whether that's spacing the floor for Tatum or coming off of a screen of his own. 
So Peyton Pritchard, I think, is someone that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on as as who does he develop chemistry with early on in the season. Yeah, I think it's going to be numerous people that he develops with, uh, depending. And I think that um, Udoka is going to rely on that quite heavily because Pritchard gives you that spacing, because he gives you that ball handling. And because, to be honest with you, Pritchard in the open floor is an absolute blur sometimes. They're calling, they don't call him fast PP because he's slow. They're not being ironic here. The dude is quick. So uh, I'm a big fan of Pritchard. I'm curious to see how he does. I don't expect it to be a battle between Schroeder and Pritchard, though I do expect to see them okay. both sharing the floor. Uh, I think that's pretty much our lineup. It is a small lineup, but sometimes, you know, like you go small, but you add so much shooting. And re- like so Schroeder gives you the rim pressure. Pritchard gives you the spacing. Richardson gives you a little bit of facilitation off the wing. And then you can go big with Juancho and Horford, or you can have Grant at the four, Juancho, so whatever you want to do. Uh, it's for Udoka to get creative. He may get creative, he may not. I've been pushing that joke all year. No one's laughing. <laughs> uh, I promise that'll be the I, last I think, time. I think that's funny. I've been trying. I'm going to keep it going all year, actually. I just want to round out. We started the podcast talking about Jabari Parker getting cut. Just to read off the rest of the names of people that will no longer be with the Celtics. That's Theo Pinson, Garrison Matthews, Chris Clemens, Luke Corner, Ryan. I could I can never pronounce that surname. Can you do it? Uh, I'll do I'll do a will pronunciation of it. Akadikakano. <laughs> yeah, Akadikakano and Juan Morgan. Um, so the, all those guys have been released. Everyone except for Garrison Matthews and Parker will be heading towards Maine. They will technically be free agents, but they still can participate for the main Celtics until they sign a contract, if they sign a contract. But Matthews and Parker will both be unrestricted free agents and will be looking to play elsewhere this year. I feel like we've kind of, like, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been good to talk about actual basketball with something that we can lean on to have an actual conversation rather than everything being a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Same. Before we go, is there anything that you wanted to hit on that we didn't hit on? Uh, no, man. I, th- I I mean, I could talk about Jason Tatum all day. So if you want to do another 45 <laughs> minutes talking about Tatum, he he looks great, man. There's there's so many times that because it's so easy to talk about Tatum that we try not to talk about Tatum. But man, I, I just love talking about the kid when he's playing this well. Like it, I, I hope that every time we come onto, onto a podcast, we start out with the with the hope that we don't talk about him, but he plays so well that we just have to. Yeah, I mean... He's a star player. We have to talk about him. I just try and find, I find it very valuable to talk about the other people too. Uh, but look, look, I'm going to agree. I think Tatum looks like he's uh, poised to take that next step. Uh, that we all thought it was going to be the playmaking that put him there. It definitely looks like it's going to be partly what puts him there. But his um, aggression towards the rim, his big boy ball, as Udoka called it, is definitely going to be what pushes him to that next level. And I'm excited, man. Super excited. I'd like to see a bit more of Jalen Brown, but that will come when it's ready to come. We've got all season to see what these guys have added to their bag. So with that, we can just remember game one against Orlando where Jalen was just dribbling the ball like a madman crossing guys up, and I think we can sleep easy with that. Everybody that's listening, as usual, the five-star written review if you're listening to Apple would be hugely appreciated. I mean, it really helps us out, not just the fact that it makes us feel good, which it does, but it helps the show pop up um, you know, under-recommended, it helps people People listening. Sometimes they're listening to a Red Sox podcast. It'll be like, hey, do you want to check out this Celtics podcast? It's highly recommended. That five-star review helps a bunch. If you're not listening on an Apple device, then just do the usual word of mouth, please. 
tell everybody that we're awesome, tell everybody whether it's your pizza delivery guy or girl, whether it's the person that walks your dogs, cuts your hair, your chiropodist, if you need a chiropodist, whatever it may be, just uh, just tell them, like, yeah, you're wearing a Celtics jersey or Celtics clothing. These people do a fantastic job, and we'd really recommend that you listen to them. That means a bunch to us. Greg, I'll let you lead us out, since it's you that's going to be rapping on the end, on the outro. Yeah, we haven't gotten a written review in a while, so I, I would love to see one soon. Uh, but this song you're going to hear is from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We're called Black Sheep Optimist, and this song is called D-Lo. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do